Folks, if your financial professional tends to speak in terms of their industry jargon, it can be confusing, but it's important to have clarity, which is why I so recommend Arif Halaby of Total Financial Solutions. My wife Sue and I are Arif's clients because he provided us with such clarity. He is very knowledgeable and capable when it comes to reliable retirement income. Tune into Arif Halaby's show, The Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM 870. The answer. 99 Retire. Listen on Radio.com. AM870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. The information on the show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, CA Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, CA Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arab has a plan for me. Hey guys, welcome. Welcome to the show. I had to play that because I wanted you to hear it. It's one of my favorite songs. My wife and I disagree on it. But hey, you're not even supposed to agree with your wife or husband or partner 100% of the time, right? So why are you supposed to agree with your president? I mean, let's think about this for a second. The presidential election is always two people, right? Not perfection and imperfection. Not angel and a devil. Well, sometimes. Uh, Certainly not... Uh, the person that is the that you agree 100%, it's, I mean, let's be realistic. So part of your strategy in, in life is to understand the job of each position. And so we're going to get into that a little bit and how this election, how some of the changes with the Supreme Court are going to affect you, your personal financial life, because it's going to. The, the surprise, uh, this is probably one of the first times in a long time that the federal government decisions affect your personal pocketbook. The first time that I can remember was eight years, uh, well, eight, uh, 12 years ago when uh, Barack Obama was elected president. Two weeks after getting elected, he began these sweeping uh, reforms, after being inaugurated, rather, these sweeping reforms that impacted and shut down countless jobs. I know one of my businesses was personally affected. Countless jobs. And he created in such a way I don't want to just say panic, but but an alternate universe of financial life. In other words, he purposely drug his foot outside of the car as it's driving, purposely put his left foot on the brake as he was hitting the gas, right? Only look over here. Look, look at my right foot. You see, it's the gas. And yet he had a parachute behind him. His left foot was on the brake. And he made all those smart aleck remarks to the president. How are you going to create 3% annual growth? What, are you going to just wave a magic wand? Well, yeah, it's called an executive order. It's called appointing people that are real constitutionalists and not, uh, you know, crazy bureaucrats that think that, you know, the federal government should be in your life every day. Well, I think some of those changes are happening. We've seen it in four years, the beginning of the undoing of eight years of craziness. Now, do I think I agree with everything he said and has done? Come on, guys. Right. We've talked about that. But they all have a job to do. The Supreme Court has a job to do. Co-equal branches. Congress has a job to do. The Senate has a job. And so does the President of the United States. I know I'm going to shock you here, but, you know, remember that uh, this is a bill. Remember that little cartoon they're running up and down? Part of that story I learned that the president is a four-year term. That means they're president for four years, not three and a half, not three years and 15 minutes. Not three years and 11 and a half months, four-year term. And the job of the president is to fill the Supreme Court vacancy when he or she sees fit. And not only that, let's be clear on this, guys. The Senate has a job to do, advise and consent. And sometimes, I know this is a, you know doesn't work for spoiled brat children, but sometimes the answer is no. 
when Barack Obama, president, lame duck president, in other words, he had zero chance of being reelected because he had done his eight term, uh, his eight years. In addition to that, the Senate was a different political party. So uh, surprise, politics plays a role. And so what did he do? Well, the president appointed somebody, Merrick Garland. And what happened with the Senate? They said, no. Well, well, you can do that. Sometimes the answer is no, spoiled brat children. It isn't always, what do I like? And now the president is running for re-election. That's a difference. And even one with a distinction, right? Let's, let's be clear. He is on the ticket. The party in power is the same. Well, do you really think the Democrats wouldn't do it? I mean, come on. Harry Reid is the one that blew the the whistle on, uh, oh, well, we're going to blow the filibuster. Surprise, Harry, we're packing the courts. Remember the same place that you thought you could control everything by controlling the courts? Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, does that sound familiar? And now you're out of office, you stomp your foot and cry like a baby. Come on now, have some respect. You don't have to agree with the person 100%, but you still call him president. I didn't agree with the last one, and I still called him President Obama. RBG can make that request. I want to be clear on this because this is hitting all the weekend talk shows. RBG, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, one I disagreed with fervently on most issues. But my word, very, very few people ever become, well, a federal judge, let alone a Supreme Court judge, so... Hats off to her, respect for her. Right? I, I think everybody has uh, a cross to bear, fights to, to overcome, and, and she did it. Good for her. Doesn't mean you have to agree with her. I don't. I didn't. But here's something that's kind of interesting. She has zero, not a little, zero standing in making any kind of request for the federal, uh, for the uh, president. It's almost disrespectful of the rule of law. It's almost, well, I would say it is disrespectful to the Constitution. And I'll give you a good example. Let's say President Trump, his last year in office, uh, his last three months in office, his second term, and the Supreme Court is about to rule. And he says, hey, guys, I want this to be my last request that the Supreme Court not rule on these three very important issues until after I'm out of office. I know. Out of respect for me as the President of the United States, the 45th President, I do not want you to rule. Congress, I want you to do me a favor. You're about ready to pass legislation. Don't put me in that position. I have three months left to go. I don't want you to pass unanimously bills that are coming from both houses, different political parties. Don't pass those bills as a favor to me. I don't, don't listen, don't do impeachment as a favor to me. My last request really is no impeachment. What if the president said that? <laughs> my last request would be to not hold hearings on the Russia gate. Oh my gosh, you guys would be, you know, pitchforks. So she has zero re- Look, I almost, well, I do. I hold her in less regard by making a a request like that. She reduces herself to the pettiness and, in fact, to the place where many on the right said she was, which was a political motivated jurist. Look, I don't think that's right. She shouldn't be that way. And maybe she wasn't. I don't think she was. But look, the bottom line is you, you can't cross these lines, make these requests and not be labeled tarnish your, your, at least a little bit, tarnish the corner of your reputation by stepping outside of your, your wheelhouse, stepping outside of your judicial constitutional powers, guys. Come on. I don't know if the president should appoint somebody. I, I, listen, my personal opinion is, uh, yes, he should, but that's me. Right? How, how many of you are out there trying to say something like, oh, well, you know, let's be fair. Oh, my word. Are you kidding me? Fair? When did you start a life that said fair was the, that's an F word in our family. The word try and the word fair. Because fair means I now control you because I get to make the rules. Instead, we use the word right and wrong. That's what we use. Right and wrong. 
Then the next obvious question is, what are you using for right and wrong? Well, we use the Bible. We're a Christian family. Not a perfect. I didn't say that. I said Christian family. And we use the Constitution. So if it's right or wrong, we benchmark it off of those things. That's what we should do. Not fair. Fair is ridiculous. And then the word try, I I talked about that. Look, try is an excuse for barely just getting up off the floor. And I tried. How about do your best? Look, if my kids did their best and they failed, I give them a high five. We talk about it. I'm excited for them. Why? Because they found an avenue that doesn't work. Which is almost as important as finding the one that does. But if you tried, you never really did your best. And people will say, oh, isn't that the same thing? Nope, it is not. It isn't. I mean, you could play the game. You could run around and say, oh, yes, it is. Stop my foot. Cry. <laughs> Lay down in an intersection. Oh, wait, they're already doing that. So financially, the impact for you guys, here's what I'm saying. I think I'm going to see some changes. We're not going to see small changes. I think we're going to see big changes. And my concern going forward is they're unpredictable. You know, usually you could say, you know, there was a leaning going towards the market growing, leaning towards real estate going up, leaning to there was always a leaning one way or the other because there are forces much greater than your your decisions, my decisions. Right? There's monetary policies. That means what the federal government decides. Are they putting more money into the system or taking money out of the system? And how do they do that? Well, they can do it in many different ways. One of those is raising and lowering interest rates. One of those is going through and saying, hey, how do you go through and and create wealth? Well, we're going to do it by giving away money, free money, so to speak. And when you say free, let's quote, let's put quotes around that because it is never free. Somebody has to pay. And let me explain something to you very clearly. Who makes the rules, rich or poor people? Uh, Okay, Uh, look, we'll be clear on this in case you're not sure. It's rich people. Now, when I say rich, you're going to think money in your pocket. Let's be, uh, you know, clear on the definitions. That's wealthy. The rich mindsetted, that's the mind. Robert Kiyosaki, great book, one that changed my life in the 90s. Some of you know my story. Tripled my income in nine months. You know, my family did an infomercial for Robert uh, that ran all throughout the early 2000s. We're very, very grateful for him to write what he did the book, not because it was, uh, you know, the next greatest works of Edward, <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, but because it was very simple, it was clear and it met me where I was. So I like it worked for me. Now, when you're looking at quote, rich people making the rules, understand it's always been the same. Cleopatra made the rules on the Nile river. Napoleon made the rules to benefit himself, his friends and his family. So did Fidel Castro and, and the British empire and, you know, King George and United States of America, everybody makes the rules to benefit themselves, their friends, their family. That's, that's never changed. Here's the difference. The reason the United States is amazing is because the rules apply to everyone. Now, figure it out, you win. Don't figure it out, you lose. That's it. That's why you had white people that won and white people that lost. Black people that won, black people that lost. Because back then, it used to be the only place for financial or any education was either the dinner table. Well, if your parents didn't know, you didn't learn. Or it was educational facilities like uh, universities. And even before that, if you were a noble family, you would bring in somebody from Europe to teach your children Latin, astronomy, the great works, the great books, Homer. You would bring in, quote, homeschooling. You would bring in the knowledge to the family. Because that was very expensive, but you could afford to do that. Now, when the opposite occurred, right, suddenly universities began to become very popular and people were sending their kids there. It still costs money. So what you would do as a wealthy family or even a poor family, you would save up your money and you would send one, maybe one, maybe more, but usually one child to college. And it was usually the oldest boy, not the girl. You know that. And the rest of the family would work in the factory or mow the fields, whatever they would have to do, tend to the flock, check their watch, three, four, five years go by, and the child returns with knowledge. Refined. Wisdom is is just oozing out of their pores, and they share with you what they've learned. And that was the hope to bring the family out of poverty. Today, knowledge comes to you. Similar to the old nobleman, Except it's free. 
Now, when I say free, eh, just get your free government Obama phone. Go to any Wi-Fi anywhere. Get on some subsidized, you know, give me free Wi-Fi, free internet service. You can get that stuff. And now you can research, how do I build a nuclear reactor? Tell me about quantum physics. What about the black hole? And, and uh, how do I become an astronaut? I mean, anything you want. What about calculus? Ask kids today, right? We, we used to have to go, you guys remember, some of you that are, you know, maybe above age 40. We had to, to go to the public libraries. For me, it was the Oviatt in, at Cal State Northridge in my junior high and high school days because we didn't have a very good library at, in high school or junior high. So mom would drop me off on a Saturday or Sunday. I would spend all day in the library gathering these books, Dewey Decimal Systems, going upstairs, downstairs, over, and bringing back these books on these tables, and you'd have to do the research. Today, a young person with two monitors can sit there and research everything they need, probably in minutes, if not a half an hour, what took me probably two weekend days. They can cite sources. That's why plagiarism is very much of a a big issue. Ask Joe Biden about that. No, I just, I digress. (laughs) You'll start to see that the knowledge to become wealthy, successful, happy, financially speaking, really goes down the road of experience, access to information. Well, today, that's everybody. You guys, to retire in a brilliant way, whatever that means to you, for some of you, it's volunteering. For some of you, it's, it's giving your, your treasure, your, your time to certain causes you believe in. And I want to encourage you. There are a lot of you out there that, uh, look, they keep, ex- oh, we've exposed somebody. Let's be clear on this. You worked for it or your family worked for this money, not them. One of the most lacking traits that I see today is courage especially political courage, especially people in Washington and Sacramento who are, you know, the second, third, or fifth tier who think that they're going to have a career long after this administration and the next are out of power. So what do they do instead? Well, it's simple. They play it safe. They forget courage is part of the the story. You have to have courage. And if you think the answer is to die with, you know, everybody loving you, excuse me, you probably didn't stand for anything. My dad made it clear, if, if people are going to talk about you after you pass away, that he never had a person he didn't, that didn't like him. He said, I'm sure that can happen. But if it does, to you, Arif, you probably didn't stand for anything. You probably didn't have courage. So you don't judge somebody by their friends. Not in a, in a legacy standpoint. In a day-to-day, yes, right? Who do you call friend matters to me, of course. But in a legacy standpoint, why did somebody want to be my friend? Do I have something they want? Do they want to be associated with me? There's a lot of nefarious reasons why somebody wants to call you friend. You can't just be exposed to that and expect, well, expect that to define you. But who is against you? Eh, That's fairly clear. If bad guys dislike you, then you're probably doing a pretty darn good job somewhere. If bad guys dislike you, you probably stood for something. Well, that others, well, at least other bad guys, find offensive. I mean, do you really think your life is supposed to be walking around on eggshells? Sorry if I offended you. Sorry if I offended How about offending you? I don't want to offend you. Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. What if you all ran around and said, that billboard that shows more skin than I'm, a, I'm accustomed to offended me. Hey, I'm driving with my kids and that radio commercial is uh, more than it should be. I'm offended. Oh, that television commercial that came on when I'm watching a family show and it talks about whatever products that, <laughs> that I don't want my six-year-old to hear or my 12-year-old to hear. You would say, come on, really? Mute the TV. Drive a different way. Explain to your kids the world isn't about you. You're not the most important thing in the world. And when it comes time for giving, giving your time, giving your treasure, be very clear on the reason you're doing it is because it's what you did. I think some of the most important money people are ever going to touch is inherited money. 
Now, look, almost 25 years, 24 and a half, let's be clear, I guess, 24 and a half years in this business. What I have seen is this. The most disrespected money for most people is inherited money. That means you inherit it and they just blow it. Yeah, but you know, if you take all the money out of your IRA, your, your dad's IRA, you're going to pay half in, in taxes to the state of California and the federal government. Eh, I don't care. It's not as if I ever had it to begin with. And I think, wow. Here's somebody who never worked for that money. Tell them to throw away, oh, they have $50 in their pocket. Tell them to take $25 and throw it outside. Tear it up, burn it. Oh, no, Eric, I wouldn't do that. That that's my money. Oh, really? A dollar is a dollar is a dollar, I thought you just said. So you have a, a much, in my opinion, a much higher moral obligation to money that you inherit than money you earn. Because you see, I don't answer to anybody on the money I earn. It's mine. I want to go buy... 10 you know, sets of golf clubs, I'm going to do it. I want to go give it away, I'm going to give it away. I want to buy you know, three desserts after dinner, I'm going to do it. It is my money, gosh darn it. I can do what I want. But when somebody worked their life for money that they will never spend because they've passed away and they've designated you as the person to carry the torch, to continue, isn't because it isn't because they think you're going to go buy uh, crazy things or disrespect it when it comes to taxes or, or properly using it uh, to, to benefit yourself or others. They don't know what you're going to do with it. But they looked at both the relationship, which is usually the first, and the second is your history. So don't disappoint them. Don't, don't be the kind of person who disrespects an inheritance. I just think there's a special value. When we work with people with inherited money, that's a big deal to me. I take that, you know, we take everything very seriously, but we take that extra carefully. You know, I want to learn about the person that's passed away. What were their values? Where do you guys coincide? Where's that overlap of what mattered to you and mattered to them? Maybe there's a cause. Maybe there's something, a hobby. Maybe there is a joint love for the education of their grandchildren or great-grandchildren. And you can express that. And there are things that you can do. Because that really makes a difference when it comes, in my opinion, when it comes to the different types of money. Now, for some of you, you didn't plan income-wise. You had a career that was either a 1099 or independent contractor, self-employed. You had businesses And for many of you, you didn't take care of yourself as much as you took care of the employees, the suppliers, your customers, and for circumstance or otherwise, you just didn't plan as much for your retirement as maybe you could have. And now you inherit this money. There's probably a purpose or a reason behind the scenes to make sure that money now provides reliable retirement income, a lifetime of income for you. And if that's the case, maybe we can help. Let me give you the number. It's 888-99-RETIRE. That's 997-3847. So that's 888-888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. I'm Arif Hallaby. We're going to continue as we move forward. Uh, the next half hour of the show, I've got a couple of things I want to cover for you. And, and it's important that we know this. The amount of free money, when I say free, go back to those quotes, <laughs> Somebody's going to pay for it, probably your great-grandchildren, that is floating around the system right now from banks, the Federal Reserve. I call it scary. Other people can call it, uh, I don't know, whatever they want. They can call it an opportunity of a lifetime. And you know what? For some, it is. So what do you do? So many of you are moving out of California. <laughs> Remember this? Many of you moved out of California. I love it that you still listen to the show. We have hundreds and maybe thousands of listeners outside of the state. We have many outside of the country, in fact. But for those of you that are, have moved out of California, let's go over a couple of things. I spoke to a client who owns a U-Haul distribution company, and he said uh, for the rest of the year and even into January, there are zero, zero, none U-Haul. No U-Haul trucks available 
to leave the state. One way is what it's called, or national. Because there's basically two different companies. One that says, take it from Main Street and bring it back to Main Street. Take it from my location, bring it back to my location. Local. And then there's another one that says, pick it up in LA, drop it off in, in Dallas. Pick it up in Bakersfield, drop it off in Phoenix. Zero of those national trucks available for months. 1,896. Write that down. 1,896. That's the amount of people leaving California. Oh, leaving California every day. I know we're excited. Triple eight ninety nine retire Okay, 1,896. I'm going to cover that when we get back. Stay with me, folks. I'm Eric Halaby on the Total Financial Hour. AM 870, The Answer. We'll be right back. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arif has a plan for me, higher income strategy. Some of its autocomplete predictions involving the upcoming election. The tech giant said it will remove predictions that could be interpreted as claims for or against any candidate or political party. It will also remove suggestions about election security and voting methods. Google gave the example saying it won't give suggestions of parties or candidates if a user types donate to. The autocomplete suggestion uses what the user is typing into the search box and suggests searches. And
financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for staying with on this very interesting day. I don't know. You know, look, a lot of us, uh, the, I think we have to learn two things. Number one, you got to learn to separate Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the person, the human being. Because, uh, look, she's a lovely lady, I'm sure, in person. I'm sure her children and grandchildren and uh, you know nieces, I'm sure they loved her because she seemed like a decent human being. As a justice, right, she has a different role to play. And so there's a way to separate the two. I, I don't want you to think, oh, you know, the poor lady people are dancing on her grave. No. I don't know any conservative that would do that. You know, listen, not as a gut reaction. Of course, people are angry or happy or sad that the justice was changed. But I think they would have been just as happy had she stepped down like she probably should have. Right after numerous medical treatments. And she chose not to. And why? Well, because President Trump was elected. She thought Hillary Clinton was going to be elected. And she very clearly stated by many people, was going to give Hillary Clinton the privilege of replacing her. Oops. Oops. Sorry. And I think, you know, Justice Thomas regrets stepping down under Bush, and then he had another chance, and he didn't do it on this go-around. And I think he might be the next to step down if if President Trump is reelected. I think he might. So statistically, there could be with uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and maybe two others. You know, and the left is threatening all these crazy websites. Oh, we're we're going to pack the court. We should move it to 13 justices. Okay, well, if that's the case, then if President Trump is reelected, he should move it to 13 justices. Can you imagine the Antifa thugs, what they would do? And by the way, guys, if we don't crack down on them sooner or later... Most of you know I spent 13, uh, sorry, I spent 11 years as a Los Angeles policeman. And during those those periods of time, numerous riots, I don't even know how many, you know, some of them didn't hit the news because there were certain people rioting and nobody wanted to say that they were rioting or destroying Westwood or breaking into stores or looting. We had that countless times. I don't know. Probably in my career, I sat on maybe 30 skirmish lines. I don't know. You know where you line up and you have your white helmets on and all that? It's very scary for the officers, for sure. When ACT UP LA, the AIDS activists, the the gay activists would raid Pete Wilson's Century Plaza Hotel. They had to do that many times when he was staying there. So there were a lot of opportunities, a lot of times when we had to to step up and, and fight the system of bad guys. But we did. We had courage behind us. Oops, that's lacking, isn't it? All right. Hey, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. I, I went to the break talking about 1896. The reason I have that number is only because it's 2018. Because 2019 numbers have yet to be released. They'll probably be released soon. Because it's a function of uh, your federal tax returns. Meaning last year you filed your tax return in you know, 91342. And this year you file your tax return in 7694351, whatever. <laughs> Right. So that's all. It's not a it's not a partisan thing. The politics don't play in. The IRS says, hey, last year, this person with this income filed here, they no longer exist in that zip code. They now are in this zip code. That information is publicly available. Howmoneywalks.com. It's a great website. Howmoneywalks.com. Also, rich blocks, poor blocks. S. S at the end of blocks. Rich blocks poorblocks.com. I think they're both.com. Uh, and the idea is you could see for yourself the money migration, population changes. Well, in 2018, the numbers we have is 1,896 per day. Per day, seven days a week, 365 left the state of California. Now, some have come back, or not come back, some have come in, but they are either the very wealthy working in Silicon Valley or illegal immigrants coming in or very poor because the benefits are really good. We have great benefits. Benefits is another name for prison, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Right? Yesterday I was with somebody who worked at an uh, at a job. And she'd worked there 
She has six years left for retirement. She said, Eric, if I've worked here so long, I can't leave because I will lose all of my benefits. Now, if you let somebody invest the same numbers in their 401k, but personally, you let somebody buy their own health insurance directly from the exchange, cross-border, other states, let us do it as we will, the same rules that we get from our employer, then guess what happens? People can go and work wherever they want. They have freedom. They are independent in their desire to work for certain companies. Now, I think that's a pretty good thing. I've pushed for that for years. The more power you give to the employer, the less the individual has. It's called unions, right? It's called employer you know, tenure. Pensions have gone away, not all of them, of course, School districts, government employees, isn't that interesting? People that did not take a penny in a pay cut still receive a pension. And the ones that pay their salary couldn't go to work. Interesting. So I think there's a lot of movement here in California. I think you need to stay abreast of it. A friend of ours moved from the Santa Clarita Valley, was moving up to the Utah area, went to go get a, a moving truck, two weeks before closing escrow. And they said, uh, well, you have to wait two and a half months. She said, what? She said, oh yeah, we're, we're booked for the next two and a half months. She said, I close escrow in two weeks. What do you mean two and a half months? All four companies that, that were here, the big, big trucks, you know? Oh yeah, it's two and a half months. So finally they had to move stuff around a little bit just to get you know a smaller truck or to be part of a bigger rig that's going in that direction just to move something somewhere. Can you imagine? I spoke to the U-Haul gentleman who said, hey, you know, by the way, if you try to go from California, from Los Angeles to Dallas, it's about four or $5,000 for the U-Haul truck. If you can get one. And by the way, remember, you can't anymore. Not for a year. Or not for the rest of the year. But to come from Dallas back here is like $900. $900. Can you imagine that? Why? Look, if you want work, if you have a good driving record, here's what you do. It's really simple, guys. You contact some of these companies because they will pay you to deadhead or drive an empty truck is what it's called, deadheading. Drive an empty truck from Phoenix to here, I don't know, maybe two, three, four hundred dollars $400. From Las Vegas to here, same thing, a couple $300. They'll fly you to, te- uh, to Texas to drive it back. To Florida, you'll make a lot more money. It's a lot further. They'll pay for a hotel and food along the way. If you can't find a job, folks, I just found one for you. If you need income, I just found one for you. Because the move, there has been uh, really what we call massive shifts, earthquake-type shifts, as opposed to glacial shifts. Despite what you've heard about global warming, glacial shifting is, is slower. Earthquake shifts are nothing, nothing, boom, it all happens. This movement over the last couple of years is an earthquake-type shift. Boom, it's happening. What does that do to California? Number one, I think our pensions are beyond repair, period. I don't care what kind of funny business the pension companies do. It's all a matter of math. right? Just like you go crazy for this pandemic and wearing a mask is what you think you're supposed to do because you failed eighth grade biology or it's been so long ago you forgot about it. Well, you failed eighth grade math and you think one plus one is because you feel like it's seven, it must be. Or let me hold a sign and and scream in your face that one plus one must be six. Oh, there we go. Must be because I'm really passionate about it. Surprise. One plus one is two. It always has been. It always will be. You can feel like it. You can believe it. You can tattoo it on your forehead backwards so when you see in, in the mirror, you can believe it's seven. It doesn't matter. And the pension systems will struggle. So for those of you collecting a pension or paying into one or expecting one, expect some changes. I don't know what they will be. I can give you speculation like most people. Mine might be a little bit more educated or a lot more depending on the person. But there will be changes. There just isn't money for it. Do you really think that a person who works their tail off without a pension, who has a small business or who works for a small business or even a medium-sized business but doesn't have a pension, 
When they come to that person and say, you know the house that you saved your whole life to live, that you raised your family? Well, we're going to tax you more money on that house called property tax. Because you see that guy over there who's, who's getting donuts and who drives the company car, the DWP car everywhere, or who drives the city of Los Angeles car, or the county whatever? Right, you see, the person who doesn't pay for gas, who doesn't pay for car insurance, who doesn't pay for that take-home car, well, they need a pension. And, and you're going to have to pay for it. So get to work. Because they need to retire at 60, 65 with 80% of their pay. And surprise, most of them are not going to stay in California. So they're not even paying taxes back to the place that is paying them. In other words, it's a one-way street. Now, I don't blame them for doing that because everybody has to take care of their own family. I blame the politicians for not standing up to them and saying, hey, guys, come on, let's talk about this for a minute. The right and wrong, remember? Forget the fair word. Let's talk right and wrong. Is it right for somebody to work their tail off, raise three or four or five kids, bust their hiney all day long, and not have any kind of guarantee or security of a pension so that somebody who had two, three months, two and a half months vacation a year gets a pension? Paid vacation, by the way. Maybe. Maybe you guys all agree, and I'm a minority. I just think sooner or later, there just isn't any more people to, to take, right? You can't bleed the last guy. So... Here's what a lot of you are doing. And I think this is a good analysis. Forget the partisan anything. This is just math. Let's go back. When you're refinancing or most of you are selling your house to leave California, you're often getting a pretty good rate, right? In other words, you're making pretty good money. You're, you're leaving the state of California, selling your house. Maybe you're putting seven, 800, maybe more, 1,000 in your pocket, paid off your mortgages, go to the new city, state, whatever. And you're thinking, I don't want a house payment, so I'm just going to use it and buy the house, 450000 cash, and put some money in my pocket. I want you to pause just a second. Pause. And let's think about this. If you do that, if you pay cash for that house, what are you giving up? Well, you don't have a payment. That's good news. But the other side of it is money, remember, is almost free. In fact, it is free basically today. When you add in inflation and tax write-offs, to borrow money is almost free. So I need you to consider this for a second. If you took your savings and you put it into a money market account, a CD, a fixed annuity, and you earned 3 4%, especially if it's a fixed annuity, by the way, guys, then you don't pay taxes on the money until you pull it out. So you're earning interest on interest on taxes on interest. You're earning interest. It's compounding. And you pull out just enough to pay your mortgage payment each and every month, each and every year. And maybe that was 2% interest and you get a little tax break on it. So really it costs you one and a half. 3% inflation, you win. You win. Because your retirement may be better off by utilizing some of the money that you've taken from your house, right? You sold it, so you have cash. It's yours. You may be better off using some or part of that to provide an income stream for you. And by the time you do the math, what is the, just do the, the Franklin, uh, I don't know what it's called, it's Franklin Square, I think, where you do the pros and cons. How did Benjamin Franklin make a decision? Put the decision on the top of a paper drew a T-square, one side pro, one side cons. And he had the intellectual integrity to go through and say, what's the pro and con of making this decision? So listen, one of the cons is you're going to have a house payment. What in the pros? You're probably going to earn more interest. You're going to have access to cash, the ability to take money out and travel when you need it. What's one of the cons? Well, you're going to always have a, 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 a property taxes. That doesn't go away. And I want to surprise some of you. Listen, a lot of you are running to Texas, and, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea, but you just need to know. It depends on which county, what side of the street, what city you live in. Your property taxes could be much greater than here in California. 
And not only that, but surprise, they never go away. They never go away. So you may be in a position to pay off your house someday, and that goes down to zero. But property taxes never go backwards. Certainly, they never go down to zero. So you might leave a place where your, you know, your property taxes are $300 a month, and over there you get to the place where it's seven or 800 a month. You have to budget for that. So I don't care if your house is paid off or not. You still have to come up with seven or 800 a month. Because in Texas, in, in Texas, it's pretty easy for them to foreclose in your house to go bye-bye. So make sure you don't, you know, just fall in, uh, you know, to one side rhetoric and I'm running and running. There are other places where taxes are more reasonable. Because remember, in Texas, guys, there, there isn't any income tax. So you do the math. You say, look, what is my income tax moving or living here in California? What is it? What is my income tax going to be in retirement? What is my property tax now? What is my property tax going to be in retirement? And then you just do the same thing over there. And then you say, look, there's a difference. There's a spread, but it's cost of living. I gave you a couple of websites last hour. I'm going to give you a couple more now. Uh, There's a couple of really good ones on Bankrate and MarketWatch. <clears throat> I think they love that I'm advertising all these sites. But Bankrate and MarketWatch, here's why. You can put in there, I want to compare living in California or basically the city. They will You'll put the city or the zip code, depending on which site you use. And how much does it cost for me to live in this city? And it will tell you 62%, 48%, 98%, whatever the difference is. And it will tell you probably Washington, D.C. or Connecticut or parts of New Jersey or Baltimore, maybe it's 105%, meaning it's more expensive to live there than it is here. So you can weigh the difference. Other places, including property tax, by the way, uh, other websites, you can put in, put in the place and it will tell you, even if you're going to pay more in property tax, even if you're going to pay, you know, a little bit more. Is there still a savings? And the answer for most places when you compare to California is not only, yeah, it's, oh, heck yeah. So you have to realize that part of your retirement planning isn't just one dimensional. It isn't, I'm going to sell my house, move to this area, pay off my house and live the rest of my life. Maybe it's that simple. If you have enough funds, it could be that simple. But for many others, you might say, well, I'm going to have a vacation home over here. And I'm going to fly back and forth. Now we have to add in the cost of the flights. You may have a a summer home and a winter home and say now maintaining two property taxes, two homeowners insurance, what are those costs? And I can tell you, we've done the math for ourselves and for, for clients and for other people as we just kind of play with these numbers for my radio shows, for some of the articles that we've written. And I've put them all together and in most cases, if you're reasonable, in most cases, you can have two homes, live in two places, whatever, um, you know, parts of Texas and Idaho. So summer and winter, uh, Utah and Mississippi, uh, Prescott, Arizona and, you know, Yuma, Arizona or something. You, you can do that and live for less money than you can one house here in California. When you add gasoline and car insurance, health insurance, food, transportation, all of that. Well, guys, you come out way ahead by having two homes. I know it doesn't sound logical for most because you're comparing two of the homes that you currently have. Look, my goal is to not push out my listeners. I love you guys. I don't want you to leave. You say very kind things when we meet. But I have to always think of you first. Right? Triple eight ninety nine retire. Here's my phone number again. Eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven. The total financial hour. It's TFS Financial Insurance Services. I'm Arif Hallaby. Don't forget that. Different name. Hey, and listen, send me an email if you if you can. Just go to our, our website. It's at TFSWealth.com. It stands for Total Financial Solutions. TFSWealth.com. Uh, I want to hear what your comments are about our our music. Because you know, look, some people Uh, have made fun of my music, and I like it. We had it made specifically for us by, I think, one of the best singers around. His name is Jimmy Carnelli. 
Uh, Jimmy is probably the best Frank Sinatra, uh, I don't want to say impersonator, but you know the singer Frank Sinatra songs. In fact, he sounds like Frank Sinatra did at his prime. So if you like that or you have events or something in the future, you know, Jimmy's a good guy. All right. So let's think about this, guys. You're going to sell your house and move. Do you take the cash? What do you do with it? If you said, well, wait a second, I'm comfortable either having a small payment or I have so much left over. I sold my home for $1.1 million. It, it, that's my net. And the house I want... I want to downsize. I want to live in a single story. I want to live in an area without a lot of backyard, et cetera. For 460000 that still gives you a lot of money. What do we do with it? Well, I think you can ladder it. You can put it for reliable retirement income that happens a little bit later. Not right away. Maybe right now you're fine. Maybe you're still going to work part-time. So what if you had some of those funds set aside, not for today, but for two years or five years or 10 years from now? What if you set it aside for three years or six years to begin giving you series of incomes and then a next one a few years later and then a next one a few years later, meaning you never run out of money? That's kind of nice. Transfer the risk, right? Insurance companies are all about transfer of risk. The reason you can pay $300 a month, right, is simple for your car insurance. It's simple. It's because everybody's paying 300 a month. And if one person crashes their car, what do you do? Well, they're going to pay for that, that, that one person. And if you paid $300 a month and you just received a $50,000 new car, how does the math work? Well, it only works because it's very simple. It's because everybody's putting in. Well, it's the same thing with retirement accounts. They don't expect everybody to live till age 98. They know some of you will pass a little earlier, some a little later. They don't expect everybody to, to start income on the very first day that they can. Some of you do, some of you don't. So just like banks and insurance companies, they're the masters of risk and protection. Now, banks may have gone astray. Many of us think they have. But originally, their intent was to give a, a systematic access to money, Right? We call it liquidity. They were designed to give systematic access, not just of your savings account, but of lending, putting money into the U.S. economy, taking money out of the U.S. economy. Well, 100 plus years ago, when the Federal Reserve was created and it was designed, it was designed to put money in and out of the U.S. economy using insurance companies and banks. That's why those are the stability places. Please don't go along with folks that run around about these alternative investments. I need you to understand Ask the people that are telling you that about Woodbridge and 1GC. First Global Capital. Both of those were Ponzi schemes. Stay away from those things, guys. Be careful. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Arif Hallaby. The Total Financial Hour. I'm on every week at this time. This is AM870, The Answer. 888-99-RETIRE. Arif Hallaby on your place for news, talk, and information. The Answer. Thanks for being with me. Have a great day. Thanks to Arab Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about
the early edition with Eric Early is paid for by Eric Early for Congress.